Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. My guest on this episode is Christia Donaldson, founder and CEO of Thank God It's Natural, a skin and hair care company. Christia is also the author of This Is Only a Test. She is a two-time breast cancer survivor, her initial diagnosis came in 2015 at the age of 36, shortly after launching her products and Target. She had a recurrence two years later. Christia talked about her course of treatments, the lessons she learned throughout, and building her startup in the middle of a cancer diagnosis. Christia has used her success with TGIN to give back to the breast cancer community through the TGIN Foundation. Take a listen in as Christia shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Christia Donaldson. Christia was diagnosed at the age of 36 in 2016 with stage two breast cancer. She is also the founder and the CEO of Thank God It's Natural. I am so happy to have you on the podcast with me. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about um, your cancer experience, um, your diagnosis, if you will. You were 36, so you were pretty young at that point in time. So how did this all happen for you? Um, well, like you said, I was young and I had discovered a lump. Um, in the shower in the year, I think this was 2015. Um, so July of 2015 and being so young, I never thought anything of it. Um, I thought it was just something hormonal because over time it would come and go. It would be like small, then it would get a little bit big and then it would get small. And then it was like, just not going anywhere. And it wasn't like growing rapidly, but it was like noticeably there. And by October, which was like three months later, I had mentioned it to a girlfriend um, during a birthday weekend for her. And she was like, yeah, 
this is probably nothing serious, but you should really insist on your gynecologist taking a look at it. And as a result of this, um, I called up my gynecologist. They couldn't get me in for three weeks. And she was like, call them back and tell them what's going on. So I did. And when I called them back, they saw me immediately. Oh, good. Because I was about to get real mad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, they tell you to be an advocate for yourself, but sometimes you like feel a little bit scared about being pushy. So this was one of those times where I was yeah, like, of okay. Course. Well, and you especially to- because it wasn't, you didn't necessarily think that it was going to be cancer. You know, it was Absolutely. I just it, thought it yeah. was like, oh, they're just going to tell me it's just like something hormonal. So no big deal. I'll get to it. And so I get in and see the doctor and she's like, oh, this is probably nothing. It's soft. It's movable. I'll send you for an ultrasound. I'm sorry, a mammogram. Um, And that was scheduled three weeks later. Go for the mammogram. And when I'm in there with the tech, like, you know, I'm new to this whole situation. I think, oh, I'm going to be in and out. I could tell by the look on her face that she was seeing something concerning, even though she was a tech, you know, like a radio radiologist technician yeah, type. They of don't have poker faces. Yeah. That was, oh my God. I wish someone would have told me. They yeah. try to act like, oh, I don't know what is going on. You know, you have to wait for the doctor, but you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And she was like, well, I wanted, I want the doctor to take a look at this. And so the doctor, when she saw it was like, uh, why don't you come back tomorrow and I'll do like a biopsy. I was like, well, what does that mean? She was like, I think I see something suspicious. And so if you're new to this world, suspicious is not, it's cancer, but it's not as not cancer, but you know, they're just being on the safe side. So I come back the next day, do all this research on, you know, what she had caught to or referred to as an architectural distortion. I'm like, oh snap, I might have breast cancer. Like this is crazy. But up until then, things usually worked out for me for the best. So I was like, maybe this isn't. And so they do the biopsy and whatever. I guess it was an ultrasound guided biopsy. And I, you know, she was like, it's going to take me two days and to get you your results. And I was like, well, what do you see? And she's just like, on a scale of one to five, I give you a four C. And I was like, well, what does that What's mean? What's a four she's C? Like, I know, exactly. I was like, well, what does that mean? And she was like, it's just like, it's suspicious. It's probably, she's like, I can't, she's like, it's most likely something. And she's like, but it could be some, it, it might not be anything at all. Oh so gosh. anyways, I know it's like heart wrenching. <laughs> well, so, so I'm going to ask a quick question because this is the second time that I've heard this. You know, I, I'm a survivor for 13 years and I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, um, but I have never heard the terminology architectural distortion. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) Well, it basically means like if a woman goes in, usually they'll see um, calcifications or things that are in a distinct pattern in an architectural distortion is something that appears on the screen. Like say it's like, you know, the screen is usually like black, particularly in younger patients with dense breasts, but it's like, there's something white there, but it has like no real pattern. And yeah, it just, it has like a, a funny, appearance that doesn't exist in any particular shape. So they, they don't consider it a calcification. It's not round. It's not oval. It's just like flashes of lightning on a screen. And so that's concerning to them. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Somebody dropped me a text and they were like, have you heard of this? And I was like, I don't know, but I'll Google it because yeah. I'm not sure. So it was just kind of weird that you had you know, mentioned that too. And this was very recent that somebody reached out asking me about that. 
Yeah, and it could be breast cancer, but it could also be other things from like trauma to the breast or like infection or whatever. So there are a number of possibilities. So I was like, oh, they're like trauma. It could be like, oh, you were in a car accident and the seatbelt like hit you too hard, you know, like okay. across your chest. And I was like, okay, this doesn't sound like anything, but I just have to hope for the best. Well, anyways, two days later, they call me and I don't know how long it took you. How long did it take you to get your results? I feel like... Well, it was it was a couple of days. I kept calling them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I called them like three or four times. So I would say it was probably, it was under a week, but definitely not two days. Yeah. Two days, like the longest 48 hours of my life, yes. if you will. Like I just could not concentrate. I couldn't do anything. Um, and this was back in 2015. So they called and the doctor was like, you know, I'm really sorry, but and it's like the rest of the conversation didn't make any sense to me. So that's kind of the story of how I found out, if you will. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's terrifying any way that you twist or turn it. So I'm assuming that was your very first mammogram. That was my very first and it's been nonstop since then. But I guess that's, that's in a good way, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Okay. So, and it was um, stage two at that point in time. Yes. Um, okay. And so was there, is there a family history at all or did this really just kind of come out of left field? It actually came out of left field. My mom had, um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and had died from cancer, really from an Sorry. infection related to cancer, like many, many years ago, but thank you so much. And so for breast cancer, the interesting thing is in some families, you may think, oh, there's no history. But in like black families, sometimes things like this get swept under the rug. So you never know if there's a history or not, um, if you will. So people are much more open now about it. But like you, you may not, you know, an older aunt or a grandmother or something may have had something like this. But like it was just not public knowledge, if you will. Right, right. Well, interestingly enough, I did a research project when I was briefly going back to school to become a social worker. Um and I did a research project on being un and underinsured in America with cancer. And one mm. of the staggering statistics that still haunts me to this day, and this was back in, gosh, I think 2008, was just the mortality rate um, for African-American women who are diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, it was just terrifying to think about. And it's and it, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like as someone who was going through this, hearing those numbers, like it's basically um, African-American women are 42 percent more likely to die from breast cancer than the general population. You're like, oh, my God, what does this mean? But what you know, after you do you delve deeper into those numbers, it's not necessarily driven by biological factors. It's really more socioeconomic. So right. things like not having reliable transportation or living in a community where you don't have like, you know, great healthcare or underserved um, community that doesn't like really focus on breast health or things like that. So it's like a number of factors, you know, like I said, mostly having to do with finances or the communities that they live in that contribute to that. Right. Yeah. And I did find that, but it was still, you know, for me, just extremely heartbreaking to, it know, is, I mean, anybody that dies from it is, you know, it's not okay. Um, but to, to have seen that, that high statistic was just mind blowing to me. So especially for something that can be so treatable if caught early. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. So, um, so what was, 
their recommended course of treatment? What did they kind of suggest to you? So this is where things get twisted. So I've actually had breast cancer twice, which is crazy. But the first time it was the standard conveyor belt, like you have cancer, it's here, and we're going to give you a lumpectomy, freeze your eggs, chemotherapy, 33 rounds of radiation. And so, and then we're going to give you this pill, tamoxifen, which you're going to take for 10 years. So that was the first time. And I was totally like, okay, I'm done with this. But then nearly almost two years later, I had a recurrence and things were much different. Um, and I had to really, you know, and I appreciate it coming back because the first time I thought I made life changes, meaning like, I was like, okay, I'm going to appreciate life more. I'm not going to be a workaholic. I'm going to slow down. But the second time it came back, like I had to really examine like, why did this happen to me again, like on a deeper level? And it really forced me to like get in touch with my emotions, really switch up my diet. Like I was always spiritual, but like really, really get into like, you know, my connection with God and the universe and everything like that. And it literally turned my life around, like for the better. So I'm here healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was it, so was it the same type of cancer? Was it connected to the first one or was this a completely separate? um, Well, it was, yeah, it was, it was, well, I don't know if it was like, like it must've been connected to the first one. I would assume like it was like a leftover remnant or something. I never, they never confirmed it in that, but biologically it was the same type. It was ER positive, um, PR positive, HER2 negative. But, um, yeah, I was just like, why didn't this work? Um, it just didn't. And so the second time around, I had to like really, like I said, put take matters into my own hands, um, if you will. And I did. And it made a difference. So. So was there, yeah. were, were the recommendations the same? Like, did you, did you do a lumpectomy? Did you do like a unilateral mastectomy? Like what, what did they suggest for that? So for that, basically I had to have chemo again, um, and I had to um, basically, I had to have chemo again and then also take some oral medication for a short-term basis. But that was their recommendation. Okay. So you, so they've never suggested like, you know, removal of the breast because I'm thinking, you know, if it's, if it's, if it doesn't have an established pattern, you know, doing a lumpectomy seems like it would just be kind of going in and pulling, you know, in all different directions. Um you know, the tissue. So they never, they never suggested a mastectomy. They just, no. Okay. So they really felt like the chemotherapy is the, the course of treatment that will, yes, I guess, destroy it, you know, get rid of it, <laughs> cure it. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and any radiation after that or just the no, chemotherapy? Okay. Just the chemotherapy. So that was the situation. And part of it is like the reason why they didn't want to do it is how um, to do the mastectomy, to be honest, is that they felt that when I did ask them about that, they were basically like the medication that we have you on. um, It was part chemotherapy and it was a part immunotherapy. We don't want you for the healing time that you I don't know how long it takes you to heal from a mastectomy. But they were basically like, we don't want you to not be on medication during the time that it would take to recover from a mastectomy. 
type of thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and you know, every, every regimen is different. You know, I know exactly what you talked about. Like my first time around, it was, you know, kind of that cookie cutter, you know, this is what you're going to do. It's going to be chemotherapy for this and radiation this long and tamoxifen like that very much is, um, you know, pretty consistent. But I know that in terms of, you know, recommended like surgical um, procedures, it varies so much. Um, so I wasn't quite sure, you know, again, what that, what that recommendation would have been. Um, so, but I would assume, you know, kind of like you had said earlier that you get mammograms a lot, <laughs> um, you know, that the surveillance is happening pretty often. So how, um, are you going like every six months? Do you go every year? Like what, what is the protocol? I go for like that? every three months. I'm okay. like heavily, heavily monitored. Yeah. So yeah, like heavily, heavily monitored, like blood work, like all types of stuff, just like all the latest and greatest bells and whistles, if you will. Like it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Good. And I mean, you feel confident that, I mean, every three months is often. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a lot. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> yes. It's really. A lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, so, I mean, but now you said that you're healthy and you're feeling well and, um, you know, you made some major shifts in your life, um, you know, from the second one, um, the second diagnosis. So, you know, I always feel like when we're kind of thrown into this, it's really hard to see any good that could possibly come out of having cancer. Um, you know, and not that I would ever say to anybody like, oh, you should have cancer because something great will come from oh it. Oh my God. You know I what I mean? You. I yeah. hear you on that one. <laughs> um, but I feel like there are, you know, you kind of sounded a lot like me um, where I was a workaholic. You know, I was um, really not taking the time to care for myself. And, um, you know, my diet I thought was okay, but it wasn't. And, you know, having cancer really made that shift for me. No, I completely agree. And even being in this pandemic, if you will, like it's a blessing and a curse, just like cancer in the sense that like when you're on the go, 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 and then you're, you slow down, you're like, you know what? I actually do have to cook my food and I actually do have to order groceries or get, gro you know what I'm saying? Like you start to appreciate, like I'm actually taking better care of myself. And I think cancer forced me to do that, but the pandemic even, you know, on top of that in terms of the times in which we're li living is forcing me to do it even more. Right. Yeah. I feel like for me personally, having had cancer really prepared me for the pandemic. <laughs> why do you say that? Because this almost feels like the first time I had cancer in terms of laying around. But why do you say that? That Well, that's exactly it. Like it was just all of a sudden, everything in my life just stopped. Yes. Um, you know, and it became, you know, very, I guess, quiet in my world. Um you know, I didn't have a whole lot of interactions. It was really just going to the doctor, coming home, doing those kind of things. And I was at home for months, you know, recovering from surgeries. So this really was extremely familiar. No, that's how I felt as well. It's like, I haven't slowed down like this since the first time, first time I had cancer in terms of like sitting on the couch, doing nothing, <laughs> yes. laying there. Like, I was like, this kind of feels the same. So for you to even mention that, yeah, it's true. It's yeah. very true. The number of books I've read, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like, I 
you know, when I had cancer, I read books. That's all I had to do was exactly you know, read books. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I don't even know how many books I'm into, um, you know, or, that I've gotten through. So yeah, it's it's a very eerily familiar space, um, you know, but I, I always keep telling, you know, I, what I keep telling my friends who have not had cancer is, you know, just take this opportunity to really learn um, and take some lessons away from this because if I could tell you that you would gain lessons through having cancer, this would be the next best thing. <laughs> I agree. I can agree with you more. Yeah. So, um, you know, we I shared in the introduction that you are also the CEO and founder of um, Thank God It's Natural. So tell me a little bit about your company. So I know that you had started it prior to um, your diagnosis of cancer. However, I feel like for many survivors, it is really important that we are being mindful of, you know, the products that we're using and the things that we're putting on our bodies. So tell me a little bit about your company. So we are a manufacturer of textured hair care products or really hair care products for anyone at this point. But initially they started out as products for people with kinky, curly or wavy hair. And um, I launched the company back in 2013, but I had wrote a book prior to that, 2009, focused on curly hair. But from 2013 to basically my diagnosis, I was building the startup, which was doing extremely well, and also working full-time as a, a corporate attorney at Oracle. And, like, I didn't realize how burnt out I was or how much I was working, if you will. Like I knew I was working, but like that was my normal. Girl, you um, were hustling. <laughs> I was, I, I was mean, totally really? like every day. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't realize that was like, you know, like stress was in my life. Like it was like kind of the silent hum in the background. I was like, I was like, I, I'm working all the time, but I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm stressed out because I still have like a social life, dating, having fun, whatever. And, um, we launched in target. I tell people 2015 was the best year and worst year of my life. We launched in target nationwide on March 1st, 2015. And nine months later I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I definitely think there was a link between those two events because the more, I don't know when you talk to people, a lot of times when I find out people have a cancer diagnosis, it's often connected to, especially breast cancer, it's often connected to something. Like if you're like, well, what was going on in your life around then? People will be like, well, I was getting a divorce or I was like working really hard. Like there's always something like weird and underlying, not always, but I've found oh, yeah. it to be true that there's something going on um, that like may, I'm not going to say triggered it, but there that led to, as they say in Eastern philosophy, the dis-ease in the body. And right. I think for me, it was working all the time, piled on, even though I thought I had a great diet and I thought I was fit, but like, I just felt like my body was out of sync. Like it was just not, it was just not a peaceful environment, you know, inside my body, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I would agree 100% with that. Um, you know, I, I think that most of it comes from some kind of inflammation from whatever external event or maybe even internal, you know, I, I'm not sure. But yeah, I would, I definitely would agree with that. And so that's where the company, like, you know, um, started the company, like I said, 2013, the brand launched, we launched in Target, 
got cancer and thankfully had a great team because for most people, a cancer diagnosis and a startup don't necessarily go together. I was going to say, how in the world did you manage it? I know I had a great team and they held me down while I was kind of recovering. And then when I got back at it um, on my feet, I eventually quit my job like six months after um, finishing treatment. And I don't know. Yeah. Six months after I finished treatment. And then after that, the company took off like a rocket. We launched in like Walmart, Sally's Beauty, Ulta, like literally everywhere. Um, and then the second time it came around again and, you know, I was like, this isn't my first rodeo. The first time I like took a break, rested, what have you. And the second time I was just like, you know what? I know what I'm up against and this is like what I love to do and I'm not going to stop doing what I love. And so I, you know, I, but I managed it. Like I wasn't like working super hard, but I wasn't like the first time around where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to like lay here. Right. Um, straight up boss, kind babe. Of a better, That's all right, I'm going to say is straight up boss, babe. <laughs> exactly. I'll take it. I will yeah. take it. But the second time I was just like, you know what? Now that I know what I'm doing, it's not like this dark tunnel. My doctors are doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. Let's go. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, I, I would imagine that that is, you know, really challenging, but I'm grateful that you had a team around you that could support you the first time. Yeah. You know, because the reality is, is that, you know, without that team who, you know, who knows what would have happened to the company, Um, you know, but, you know, kudos to them for stepping in when you needed them the most. Absolutely. And it taught me just to depend on people. I think pre-cancer, I thought I had to do everything by self And now I'm a little bit more willing, like I'm type A perfectionist. I'm a little bit more willing now to be like, like I can depend on people. Yeah, I can. I hear that too. I always tell people I'm a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes not really on the recovering side, but <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're a work in progress though. That's both it. Of us. Exactly. Absolutely. I've been a work in progress for a very long time, but, uh, one day, one day I'll be able to say that I'm not a perfectionist. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, that's really exciting. So, um, but one of the things I heard you say is that the products now are for any hair type. Yes. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it's been very exciting. We started off with one consumer in mind and based on kind of like the attention that we got and the fact that people are like, wait, you know, people tend to be attracted to like small niche brands, particularly in hair and makeup in recent years. And so people without curly hair who are just like, oh, I keratin treat my hair or I'm a blonde or what have you who deal with um, dryness a lot. Um gravitated to our products because they felt like they were more moisturizing than products that they would find in the general market section. And so from there, Ota was basically like, look, let's do this. Like, let's switch this thing up a bit and come out with stuff for everybody. And that's what we've done. Oh, I think that's great. And I think about women who have had chemotherapy. So I, I did not do chemotherapy. I was randomized um, through a clinical trial to not have chemotherapy. Oh my um, God. Yeah, that uh, worked out for me. I would have done it either way um, because okay. I very much believed in the research study that I was involved in. Um, so if I had to do chemo, I would have done chemo. Um, but for many women, you know, after they've had chemo, um, for me, I have straight hair. And I know that a lot of people 
if they have straight hair, then they end up with curly hair. Yes, <laughs> um, very common. Yeah, and trying to, and the texture changes, you know, maybe they've had really fine hair and then all of a sudden it just is, you know, I don't know, thick or, um, you know, dry or, you know, whatever the case might be. So I'm thinking that, you know, just trying to figure out how to manage their new hair, um, you know, has to be a struggle, quite honestly. Yeah, it's a total surprise for a lot of people, especially like you said, the straight to curly ones. Yeah, I mean, we all we all wish that we had what we don't, um, you know, so <laughs> there are a lot of people who are like, oh, I always wanted curly hair, wanted curly hair, but then it comes in and they're like, what is this? What do I like, do with what it? What am I going to do with this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So really that's a place where, um, thank God it's natural can come in and, um, you know, kind of help, help those people who have had chemotherapy that now have different hair, um, be able to manage that shift. Yes. And we've definitely speak to that audience and that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. I think, um, you know, Whatever, whatever it was that, you know, pushed you into that market, obviously there was a reason for it. Um, and I think that, you know, just having your own journey through the cancer world, um, you know, has obviously helped you um, to align your heart with what it is that you're doing. So that's super cool. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to say, Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. You are just absolutely delightful. I can feel your energy, even though we're hundreds, thousands of miles apart. Um, I know that you are, you know, I can just feel your energy and I've enjoyed my time talking with you. So thank you for being a part of this show. And thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.